Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Welcome to Nutrition Matters with Beth. Before we start, I do have a programming announcement. As you know, on the week of 9-11, we always host special shows for remembering those whose lives were directly impacted and talk about how the world changed because of that. And we're going to do that again this year. But our theme this year for the 9-11 Honor Week is bringing back that mindset we had then, the mindset about dropping what you're doing and running into that, that building to help others, to be able to give up and take care of others, to help others, and, you know, not, the goal is, is to eliminate cancel culture, and the fact that we don't agree with each other, it's okay. We learn from that, not because we don't agree with you, it means that, you know, well, you're done, we're just going to eliminate you. So join us the week of 9-11 for different shows, special guests throughout the days, and today's show is all about food labels, how to understand them. Hey, Beth, how are you? Hi, Mary. Thank you. I'm great. It's, uh, it's, a, it's actually beautiful here, and I just came inside from playing with my children outside. You know, food labels, I always joke when I look at them. You almost need a sec- another new language just to, to like, have to qualify for a language just to understand them. There's a lot going on. Um, and there are, I know there are some grocery stores around here um, that have sort of tried to demystify it a little bit by giving food like a rating system, right? I think it's like one to five stars. And so the higher number of stars, the like quote unquote healthier the food is. Um, But that still leaves a lot lot to be desired because you don't necessarily always know what the consumer is looking for in the food either. Um, So yeah, it does. It takes a lot to know what's going on on the label, um, right? There's definitely two very distinct parts of food labeling. Um, there's the front of the package and the back of the package. Uh, the front of the package is really designed to get us to make a purchase. So the front of the package is really you are the consumer, it is a product, and they, the food company is trying to sell it to you. So uh, this is where you'll find really anything eye-catching, any sort of like the latest buzzwords in the health and wellness space. This is where they'll put that information. Now, how regulated are the labels with the FDA? 
So the uh, the FDA regulates the nutrition facts labels. So you'll usually find that on either the side or the back of the container. And they also regulate any health claims that are found on the box. So think about like uh, Cheerios is a great example, how it says that it can help with heart health, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those types of claims are regulated. Uh, there's only certain authorized claims that can be made. And it has to say that it, it, um, uh, that it may help, right? So there's different, there's, this can get really into the weeds. There are different types of claims. So there's an authorized health claim, and that's supported by scientific evidence and scientific agreement. Um, so an example of this is like calcium, right? So directly from the FDA, you can put onto something and it can say adequate calcium and vitamin D as part of a healthful diet along with physical activity may reduce the risk of osteoporosis. So it's, it has to have those contingent factors in the wording um, to, to be in compliance with. Um, you can also make, like, the next step down, I guess, would be what's considered a qualified health claim. So while it's supported by science, it hasn't reached the full level of, like, scientific agreement as the other claims. Um, so it could read something like scientific evidence suggests, but does not prove that, um, the example from FDA is that whole grains, um, as part of a low saturated fat diet, low cholesterol diet may reduce the risk of diabetes. <coughs> diabetes. So it's, there's like more contingencies in the statement that's allowed to be put out. Um, but yeah, so the, it's all um, a word game. the manufacturers, what? It's all a word game. You got to look for the keywords yeah, of may or should, could, if. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, what manufacturers kind of rely on is that the consumer isn't going to pick up everything that's in that statement, right? You're going to see, oh, Whole grains, I can reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes, not all of those additional pieces in the middle, right? Um, and it's not to say that it's wrong. Why those letters but, are, right, but that's why those words are in little print and the other ones are in bold print. Yeah, yeah, they can play around with font. Um, there is some regulation in terms of um, – font and font size as well so that you it has it has to be like able to be read and especially when you get into the actual nutrition fact label um the size and the spacing and the font and the organization of the items on the nutrition fact label are regulated same with um supplements same thing they the fda regulates the supplement fact labels too so one of the biggest things is if the consumer, so like when we're out shopping, if we stop and read the full thing, the full um, claim, right, and see what it's actually telling us. Like it's never going to say that it can prevent or cure something, um, but it'll say like it can reduce the risk of standing that that is exactly what it says. It can help reduce the risk of, but it needs to be part of the larger pictures like there's no one special item that's suddenly going to cure everything so it's um the the fda actually lists right on their website for anybody to go check out like exactly what authorized health claims are allowed to be made and i haven't looked recently but there are definitely cases um, from the FDA against certain manufacturing companies when they don't label things appropriately um, that we as consumers almost never hear about, but 
they they do go after the companies that don't label appropriately to bring it back into alignment. Um, I have no idea how long that process takes, so or like what the repercussions are. But they do check, that's for sure. So those health claims are typically like front of the package, right? Because it helps the shopper to make a decision. It's like if you see two identical products, but one product has put on the front that it, it whatever, like helps lower cholesterol, you're probably going to be more drawn to that product, not knowing that the one without that on the front is doing the exact same thing. Um, so that's one of those, like, there are some yogurts that are labeled that they have probiotics in them. All yogurts have probiotics in them, just not all of them are labeled on the front that they have probiotics in them. Just as a byproduct of making yogurt, you end up with probiotics. Uh, that's always one that I find interesting. It's when I get somebody that is like, well, I eat yogurt. And it says there's probiotics. I'm like, yes, they, they all have it. You're paying extra for extra words. Now, is it, could it be that it's a little bit different in the amount of probiotics in one over another? or Unless you turn it over or... and look at the ingredients and they've added extra and, like, different cultures, um, well, I wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily know if they've added extra of the regularly occurring ones, but you'd be able to see if there are different ones um, because it's not labeled with, like, um, the amount. I'm literally looking at a yogurt container right now. It's not labeled with the amount of it, but this is just, it says absolutely nothing on the front about probiotics. It just says non-fat Greek yogurt. And then when I turn it over, I have to go to the ingredients and read that. And that's where it says live and active cultures. And I'm going to absolutely butcher them. Um, but there's S. thermophilus L. bulgaricus L. acidophilus bifidus and L. casey. So that's just what's used in making yogurt. Now, it's funny how you bring that up because a lot of people yeah. buy particular brands just because it says it has that in there. Yeah, it's a marketing tactic. It really doesn't, you know, I'm trying to see if this has anything on it. No, the claim on the front of this is just about the texture really. This delicious creamy yogurt is an excellent source of protein and a good source of calcium. Those are actually regulated terms as well. Excellent source of, it has to be 20% or more of what's considered like the daily value, which I'd argue this is wrong anyway, because 17 grams of protein is not 34% of my daily needs, but in general, what they're using for measurement, it's over 20%. So they're allowed to label it as an excellent source of, um, of protein. And then a good source, my gosh, no, I'm not going to remember, but that's got like a certain percentage as well. Um, for this, with the calcium, it's says that per serving it's 15% of the quote-unquote daily value. Um, but I do know that there's like a certain cutoff for being labeled as a good source as well. So when we're reading it, we just sort of take it and see it as um, a positive message. But there, there are regulations behind it in order to put those words on there. So that uh, the goal from the FDA is so that manufacturers can't create like a, a super misleading product. 
or at least help limit it. Are words, though, no. that make their way onto packages that are not regulated? Oh, were you going to ask something, Mary? I did address your question. Have they updated their standards of what is required for daily health allowance since the 50s? Or are they still using the same thing they did when they started? It's still a 2,000 calorie diet. Um, the the um, the recommendations and uh, now I'm not going to remember what this is called. Um, guidelines for Americans. I might be making that up. Oh, dietary guidelines for Americans. I'm so close. It's updated every five years, I believe. Um, so that's where those daily values, excuse me, the daily value percentages can change based on that. Um, but I don't, I don't actually know off the top of my head if they've changed too much in terms of the, um, the percentages on the food label. There was a big change in food label guidelines probably about um, probably almost 10 years ago now um, where they changed the layout, and that was like a big to-do. Um, but I think the percentages and the 2,000-calorie diet stayed the same. I remember hearing about that when the labels changed. Everybody was freaking out, worried that they couldn't understand the labels anymore. It's honestly a lot of it's the same. They changed the font for the calories, um, and they added in a line for added sugar. And I feel like they made some of the additional points on there required versus optional, so there's there's more information on there, which does increase the confusion, I think, when you start to put more on there. Like, yes, it can be helpful, but then there just needs to be more education on what somebody's even looking for. So a lot of times I talk with clients about avoiding added sugar, um, which gets can get confusing on the labels because you see – Total carbohydrate is like the main category heading. And then under that, you'll see total sugar. But then in a subset of that, it's finally when you reach the added sugar. And it's worded a little bit differently. It typically says, like, includes however many grams added sugar. So it's it's worded a little bit differently as well. Um but it, it does take, like, that education point of showing exactly where to find it. Like, no, we're not looking at the total sugar. We're looking at added sugar. Um, because total sugar, like, all right, so still the yogurt that's right in front of me, right, has six grams of total sugar in it. But that's – you're never going to get rid of some of that. It's naturally occurring because it's a dairy product and it's made with milk and there's naturally occurring sugar in milk. So the important part is to look below that at that line where it says includes zero grams added sugar. So it's making, it makes a lot of extra work, that's for sure. But it's, I, I enjoy the extra information on there, but it does take more education for just anybody to be able to pick up and know what they should even be looking for when they look at it or what is a good number. Because um, that's another one, too. If somebody looks at it and sees, like, oh, God, this says um, whatever, like 100 milligrams of sodium, that's actually not a lot at all. So it, it's not a bad thing. Um, but – they may not know that. They may not know that, like, on average, you should, I mean, this definitely depends on, like, heart conditions and such, but generally, the rule for sodium is about 2,000 milligrams a day. So, a 100 is a drop in the bucket. 
Yeah, Mary, it's country. Yes, country. Hi, country. Hi there. But, you know, like you said, now, even if you have to do that, when you go shopping, please don't have the children with you because you're going to feel like you're in the library while you're shopping if you got to stand there and read the labels. That's why so many people that are into what name brands they call it buy the same name brand all the time. Oh, my mama used to do it. Yeah, but it's full of salt. My question is, don't all brands have names? And then it gets even more difficult when they start using those words that you can't even pronounce. I hated that when I was in school. And I said, what does that mean, Mary? They said, go look it up. Well, if I got to go look it up, I can't spell it, don't know what it means, and now I'm frustrated. And then years ago, when they, I introduced 118 different products to the marketplace. I used to do product demonstration for Whole Foods, Publix, Kroger, Walmart. My job was to get you to try the product. I'd say something crazy to you, Beth, like, ma'am, come on over here and give your taste buds a joy ride. You want to try our new product? If you don't try it, you're never going to buy it. So they paid me a lot of money just to get people to taste stuff. And, again, most of the time, the in-store promotions, they're not really concerned about you reading a label. They're concerned about you hitting your taste buds. Years ago, they also had to have uh, what they had, a skull head on certain products that were dangerous, especially cleaning products. And after Congress and negotiation and so forth and so on, and it's hindering the sale of our products, can we take the label, that skull head, off the product? Then they changed the little bylaws that goes on the other little white label that says, Mary, you're responsible for taking this product inside of your home, even though it's poison. Just like the, the well, cascade. That's, that's on cleaning products, right? Say it again, ma'am. That's on cleaning products. That's not on, on food. Well, again, they kind of confuse people. Because you remember they said there's a thin line, cleaning products and eating products, too. Still, there's little secrets that they don't tell you or little things that they can sneak in there and be okay with it. Or they'll tell you that it's against the law to have X amount of grams in there, so they fall .202 short of what's illegal to put in there. It's like we do it. we're talking about salt and sugar. They know it's in there, but they know what the guidelines are right up to breaking the law that they can do it and get away with. Well, there's also some leeway um, with the nutrition facts label so that usually like that rectangle where it says nutrition facts at the top, the numbers that they put in there, they have a certain amount of leeway um, in what they report on the label, what the manufacturer reports on the label, essentially to make their products look better, right? So if you have something that say, I don't know the exact um, range that they're allowed to use, but if it's something that's 100 calories, it might actually be like, I don't know, like 106. It's got a huge range, but it's it's not necessarily the truth. It's about right, um, but it's not completely accurate. Even so like I've when always GNC, found that interesting. When there was a big thing about putting more fiber in your diet, GNC came out with their new enhanced with vitamin C and 48 grams of fiber. Well, that's great. But your body will only absorb 35. So what happens to the other seven grams of fiber that they put in there? It goes down the toilet. So, yeah, they show you some here and show you less there and show you too much over here to keep people confused. That's what they really want to do. They want people confused. Yeah, the goal is to sell a product. It's, It's important that we're in charge of our own health, right, and knowing what we need and where to find it and how to find it. It's not really in the hands of another company to do that for us. And that's also uh, some of the labeling can get misleading when you see things like, um, like healthy or natural 
those are um, completely unregulated terms. So it doesn't actually mean anything. Well, I would um, not left out organic. <laughs> organic <laughs> is regulated by the USDA, not the FDA. Okay. They have a different regulatory body. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, but it's uh, it's that's just expensive dirt, in my opinion. Necessarily benefiting anybody to eat it that way, which I'm sure will get tons of kickback, but. Um, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. Eating local and things that are picked at like peak ripeness is going to make much more of a difference um, than anything that's picked far before ripeness and shipped, including organic food. Exactly. But, you know, um, for individuals who have like sensitivities to different things, Organic is good, but not necessarily. It's, I mean, you may find that you have a sensitivity to something that a particular, like, farm uses, but, um, or, like, um, you know, a, a, a particular, like, feed for chickens that you might be more tolerant of like eggs of chickens that are say like uh, grass fed or whatever. I don't know what chickens eat, but like with different types of chicken feed, things like that, um, you could certainly see a difference there. But um, organic is still, they still use, um, they still use pesticides and fertilizers. They're just different ones right, that have been also certified organic. It's not necessarily pesticide and fertilizer free. That would be an extremely hard, um, uh, like, product to maintain, right? You can't guarantee as much output if you're not using any type of fertilizer or pesticide at all. So it's I. Definitely expect there to be something that comes out of that because that is definitely not the like regular narrative that you see. And I know every year there's published like the like the dirty dozen of different fruits and vegetables that you should always be buying organic. And it at the end of the day, it matters far more that you're eating them. Um, and if you're worried about the nutritional value of it either growing it yourself or buying it local where you can pick it when it's ripe is going to make a lot more difference. Right. And I'm on then, yeah. the USDA website and they, so the most misconception is that organic only has a small increase in nutrients as opposed to regular vegetables. The only time where it really becomes a factor is with um, toxic metals in grains in the soil. But if you wash your fruits and vegetables, the pesticides come off anyway. But most people make the misconception that natural and organic mean the same thing which are two completely different things. Yeah, natural is not regulated, so anything can be labeled as natural. Um, That's just a a marketing term. It it doesn't actually mean anything. Right. It's supposed to mean no artificial colors or preservatives. What was that? It's supposed to mean no official colors, flavors, or preservatives, but it's not a regulated thing yet. It has nothing to do with how the stuff is grown or made. It doesn't. It and it's um. There might be like the 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 general conception of what it means, but it's not like anybody can use it. Um, I know that healthy 
um, was under review by FDA to become a regulated term. Um, that was, I think, last fall. So I don't know where it is in its review process right now. But but healthy is likely to become one of the more regulated terms that are kind of feeling out what what its meaning will be. Which will be and interesting because I feel like the there's so many things labeled healthy or that have healthy in the name. Right. You know, the biggest misconception is, you know, it's like bacteria safer. You know, salmonella, E. coli, things like that. But they found there's no difference between how they're grown or raised. Yes, that would not, that would do, but that's far more to do with like the cleanliness of the of the institution or um, right washing and cleaning and safe food handling practices at home. Um, yeah, those none of that would really be um, regulated by or like incorporated into those terms. And actually, right. for me, you know, actually one of the things that um, that I looked at doing when I first graduated and first finished with my registered dietitian um, certification piece, right? So what I became nationally certified is, is I could be a um, USDA meat inspector and, and inspect Ooh. meat packing plants and meat processing plants. Um, but that's, that's where things like that would come into, into play is at, at the USDA level for meat inspection and meat grading. Um, and that would tell you more about sort of like the cleanliness factor um, more than whether or not it was like a grass-fed piece of beef or whatever it might be. I know for me, like, especially in meat as opposed to like regular food, I always try to make sure, and milk too, is that I get hormone-free. And yeah, antibiotic so free. It's it's interesting with milk because I have seen that where it doesn't have like it's labeled that it doesn't have the additional hormones. Um and it's illegal for the for the farmers to do that anyway. Um but there's a loophole in the you, system. You can't tell if they've been given extra because it's naturally occurring. Correct, but the thing is, is we don't. We're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have this regulation in place yet. A lot of our farmers actually milk pregnant cows or cows that are just given birth. Oh, that's where the higher hormones come in at. Okay, yeah, as opposed to overseas, that. There's definitely different regulations um, in other countries than there are here. Um, I know that I had a friend who spent a year traveling, and she found foods that she didn't tolerate here in America. She was just fine with in other places. Right, and that's the big um, difference in, like, our milk. Where they have, I wonder, where there's it, higher hormones. Yeah, I now I wonder because I know one of the big things for her was um, was dairy that she does not tolerate dairy well at all here in the states. But then when she was traveling, she did fine. So that's actually very interesting. That was the same problem I had. I can drink certain yeah, milk. She can drink, drink milk drink everywhere others. else. Yeah, um, here, yeah, but it's definitely a lot different. of small farms don't do it, but a lot of the big farmers they keep milking when you shouldn't be. That's a dairy association question. 
because they all have they all have their lobbying groups. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a whole nother rabbit hole of all of the um, the lobbying groups for different food associations and how that impacts uh, what we see in nutrition recommendations. Um, yep. Especially if they're coming from a government source for the nutrition recommendations, it can absolutely be influenced by um, by food lobbying groups, essentially. It is, but when you got people like, you know, um, California that tries to lobby everything, people people don't want to listen. I know, and I know it was actually, I think it was actually the Dairy Council Now I want to look it up and find it. I think it was the Dairy Council that ended up influences the dietary guidelines for Americans. Oh, no, meat was a big one, too. Um, that there were going to be more recommendations for, like, a not vegetarian, vegan-type diets, but what is termed more, like, plant-forward. Um, and um, there were some of the bigger meat councils like beef and pork each have their own um, lobbied against it. This was back in in like 2015. This is not like super recent. We are definitely living with all of the impacts of this already. But it's just interesting Mm -hmm. that um, those things can absolutely be influenced. Because I know um, down in Texas, they're doing a study on it because they're wondering, because um, one of the theories is is that these, the kids that drink a lot of milk with these pregnant cows, they have higher estrogen levels. If this is what's causing the hormone issues in kids. Oh, I've the seen things on that too. Like, I girls, haven't seen anything. Yeah. I haven't seen anything definitive, but I know that there have been some studies done on whether or not it, um, you know, pushes, especially females, into puberty earlier. Because they're hitting it at an all-time early rate. Like, the average age is, like, 8 and 9 now as opposed to 10 to 13. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't have any, like, hard numbers on that, but I know that's something that it's been looked into was the um was milk yeah yeah they don't have enough studies yet done on it and it's um which i like i like what the fact that they're not releasing inform a lot of information about it it's just theories until they have enough numbers to prove one way or the other Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, you end up with, like, a big, like, fear-mongering news story, and then nobody picks up a glass of milk again, right? Like, which is not necessarily the goal. Um, so it's because I feel like we kind of, we as a society, as Americans, tend to, like, take things and run towards, like, the fear-mongering aspect. Because um, it, it makes for a nice sensationalized news story. Mm-hmm. Um, one show I'd like to do or have you do on is the difference between like cow's milk and like the coconut milk, the almond milk. Oh yeah. The benefits um, of either or, or if one's better than the other, or there's so many um, misconceptions out there. Yeah, and it's. Listen, I'm perfect for it. I've been lactose intolerant since I was about seven. Um, And so I feel like, like I have personal anecdotes of trying a wide variety of milk alternatives from back in the early 90s when it was like shelf-stable boxed rice milk um, all the way up to like the thousands of different choices that you have now. Oh, I jumped for Um, joy when... um... Was it your play that came out with lactose-free yogurt? 
Yes, there's all kinds of stuff. You can get a cashew yogurt now. Um, you can do soy yogurt. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, and I know that, I don't know where this stands either, but there was something that, like, the Dairy Council was lobbying for them not to be able to call themselves milks, right? Because it's technically not a, right. a, a milk, like a dairy milk. It's, it's a, a milk alternative. Um, but at this point, I feel like it's so commonplace. I can't imagine trying to switch. And I say this and watch me have to eat my words in like 10 years, but I can't imagine having to switch from calling something like soy milk and oat milk to, I don't know, like oat beverage, almond beverage or something. I just don't know why I can't just say, you know, a, a substitute for milk or, you know, a milk substitute. Yeah. Or the alternative. It's, again, it's a branding and marketing thing. So it's, that's what the concern is, I feel like, more than, um, more than anything else. Like, they're saying that it's confusing to the consumer, but really it's just, it, it changes what people think of when they say milk. So it's, it's back well, to that branding the, and marketing. And, the misconceptions about how milk is bad for you. Yeah, which it's as long as you tolerate it, right? Um, I think it's fine. Um, but if you're if you're lactose intolerant and you're drinking milk, like that's regular milk, not lactose free, like that's a poor choice because you're essentially like causing yourself an upset stomach every time you do it. Um, yeah, but. But generally speaking, it's it's a fine thing to have, which I feel like will get pushed back too. It's like me coming on and saying that you should eat bread, right? Well, hey, I get yelled at for saying that all the time because with my kids being <laughs> special, everyone they're under this misconception that gluten is the cause of every issue yeah. your kid has. So when your kids have problems, yeah. it's like the cut gluten is dairy. Yeah. So, no, my kids have tested. They're fine. Yeah. And they literally have been. Yeah. Only because of his stomach issues, I wanted to see if. But there's no science-backed oh, yeah. information on it. It's, there are people that have, like, especially when it comes to things like gluten, like a sensitivity. Um, mm-hmm. Um, or an intolerance where it might not be a full-blown <coughs> allergy. Um, and so that's, that's typically really symptom-based. And it's not subtle symptoms. Like you're going to notice immediately, right, if you have something with gluten and immediately get, like, not immediately, within 30 minutes, like stomach cramping and bloating. Like that's a, that's an indication, not a very vague, like, Oh, you know, I have a temper tantrum. Maybe I should. Yeah, yeah. Like my kid cried today. Maybe they shouldn't have gluten. Like just a little. There's a big disconnect. Um, which we didn't even touch on, like allergy labeling or anything. But what's nice now with more actual food allergies, typically the foods will have. They'll have, like, contained whatever and list ma- major allergens. So peanuts, tree nuts, milk, soy are typically the big ones. Oh, and wheat um, are, like, the – I think they may even call them, like, the big five. Um, and they'll also list, hey. like, may contain. So if it's processed in a facility that also processes those foods, they'll list the may contain. And what I think is really cool is that in school, they're even teaching kids how to read that portion of it um, to help keep their classmates safe, essentially, right, for when there's a kid that has, like, a severe nut allergy or something. They know to look for the contain, may contain. Because <laughs> some things you can't really tell. No, like, my favorite protein bars are not nut-flavored, like, on my desk, I have the cookies and cream flavor, and it's not 
it's not made with um, peanuts or anything, but it says, like, may contain almonds. And, well, there is soy in it, but may contain almonds. Oh, soy is the other one that they usually list. So it can't be the big five. Yeah. I don't know how many there are. Soy, soy yeah. and eggs. Oh, eggs. Yeah. But I really feel like, um, yeah. I feel like they have some sort of like a group name. And there's eight of them. Milk, eggs, fish, shellfish, tree nuts, peanuts, wheat, and soy. Yep. Yeah. They used to be called the Big Eight, apparently. Um, what is this, the major nine? What are they trying to add? Oh, sesame. Um, yeah. So we covered most of the food label stuff um, and, like, the marketing component of it but really didn't get it all into how to use it to choose a product, um, more of just the educational component of what all the words on it mean. But the, the nutrition facts can, I mean, it's on there to guide you. Oh, um, but it's such a useful tool. And so I do think that we should do like an entire another section on how to use it to make your food selections, right? Like, um, you know, if you're getting something that's 100 calories, that's honestly not even enough for a snack, right? Lower is not always better. Um, so, you know, increasing, like, the knowledge and awareness around what is the right size for those types of things and what do you actually want in there is super helpful for being able to determine whether or not a food is actually a good choice for you. I think we should do that next week's show, do a full on the label on the back part and do like a sample yeah. like meal plan, like based on yeah. the label, so how to put I, that together to figure out what to eat. Yeah. And I am right now, making a like a year-long meal plan meal planning and tracker like journal basically um it's definitely not done it is up for pre-order um but i it's such a it's such a difficult thing i found and specifically i'm doing it with like families in mind but it can be just for one person um but it is such a difficult thing to look at it and say, okay, like, even if I know what good foods individually are to eat, how do you put it together so that you're getting enough of the right pieces? Um, so we can definitely do the nutrition facts label and how to put it into um, a full meal plan. There's, that's, that's a lot. You can run through it, though. Well, this is kind of like, it gets confusing, especially being like a diabetic, how to put, you know, unless you may start making things points and how to convert the label to the point system to figure out if you're getting enough or not enough. And I truly believe a lot of people just aren't getting enough because they don't understand it's, how to yeah. read it, especially for kids. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of it is, I see, <clears throat> I see a lot of people that essentially over-restrict, so don't eat enough, and then without really even realizing what they're doing, they then go on, like, this huge binge and eat, not necessarily to, like, make up all the calories, but they're like, okay, well, I held it together all week and stayed at, like, whatever, like, 1,200 calories every day, which I can't even imagine doing and then on the weekend not that you can undo everything you've done in two days but you just eat this huge amount and have this huge binge and it it one results in a super unhealthy relationship with food and two 
um, it it messes with your metabolism, right? It, your body knows that it's not going to get enough during the week, so it's going to slow down and hold on to what you are giving it. So there's a lot that goes on with that. So, yeah, eating enough consistently um, makes a big difference. That's one of my favorite things, working with clients, is being like, mm, you need to eat more. Because there's just such a relief that comes with that of not feeling super restricted. Right. Especially thinking that's yeah, the only thing you can have is salad. Yeah. Oh, God. If I had just salad, I would be so angry the rest of the day. I feel like the rest of the afternoon if all I had for lunch was salad. You know, it's, a lot of you're told right, a lot, you know, your salad dressings are bad. It, you can only eat a little bit of the salad dressing, so you're eating basically raw, raw spinach or lettuce, whatever you put on there. I can't. A dry salad sounds so awful. It's The other thing yeah. is that we need to enjoy our food, right? It's not it shouldn't necessarily be punishment to eat. Um, so there needs to at least be like a neutrality of like, okay, I can tolerate this. Um, but, you know, if you can get enjoyment from it too, which I feel like a lot of times there are times where we are just eating for enjoyment, not that that's good, but um, if you can bring that enjoyment to when you should be eating and when you're actually hungry, it's going to lead to a better relationship with your food and, um, just improved health overall. You know, studies have shown and proven that if you enjoy what you're eating, you actually digest it better than if you're looking at food as like a chore or something bad. Yeah. It's, um, you know what I'll do too? I'm just thinking about doing like the meal planning for next week. Um, what I can do is I have like a subscribe to my newsletter thing at the bottom of my, the first page of my website. And what I'll do is I'll link that so that if anybody goes and puts in their email, it'll automatically send them like a one page meal plan sheet, like worksheet. Um, that's going to go right along with what we talk about next week. And then we'll um, tie it into, post it on in the group, and then on the um, uh, yeah, on the um, radio show too, so that people save it. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. That way they can. Um, like follow along and uh, and work through it at the same time if they want to make it like interactive, either if they're listening live or if they're listening to the replay, um, they can get some more out of it. I also just love a good worksheet. Sorry, I have a little boy with meltdown issues. Oh, that is totally fine. It's Yeah, so we'll go through next week what to look for on the label in terms of, right, like the calories, your macronutrients are on there, so it's going to list your fat, your carbohydrates, and protein. But then also some of the micronutrients are listed on there too, so things like um, – like sodium and potassium, potassium, iron is listed. Um, and there's regulations on that, too, in terms of which vitamins and minerals need to be listed and which are essentially optional. Um, and a lot of that actually gets tied back to um, school food service and what's being monitored for um, childhood intake so that school food service can stay in compliance and track what they're, how much they're giving to the kids and making sure that they're meeting the requirements for like calcium intake and vitamin D intake or whatever um, happens to be, um, you know, 
not important because they're all important, but what happens to be um, being tracked for metrics at the moment, more or less. No, and that's the thing is that, you know, I people get so confused on what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, and how to eat it. You know, what... Yeah, and then... Especially when it comes to certain to things freeze. like salt and sugar. Sometimes we get to like this freeze spot too, where it's like, okay, there's so much to look at and so much to know, and it's it can get so confusing that instead of finding a way to have it broken down to be able to be understood, it's easier to just kind of like throw it all out the window and go with whatever sounds good at the time. Like going to the grocery store hungry, you end up buying the whole store. Oh. Then you get home, you don't even realize. What am I going to do with this? Or my favorite is going to the grocery store, buying food, and then coming home and being too tired to make any of it. Oh, yeah. Um, So I think I said this before on here, too. Like, I typically order my groceries at this point um, because going to the store is just usually not feasible. But when I used to, I just had my son at that point and not my daughter yet, and we used to go grocery shopping every Saturday morning, and I would always plan to buy some sort of, like, frozen item to have for uh, for lunch so that I knew that I could come home, throw that in the oven to heat while I unpacked groceries, right? So that essentially factors into meal planning because I'm – planning ahead, right? It doesn't always mean making something intricate. It could be as simple as, you know, okay, I know that we're getting home around lunchtime and I know that I'm going to need to have food for myself and for my toddler. So what is it going to be? So it's meal plan does not have to be as intimidating as it sounds. Well, you know, and like Walla and a few other place um, companies make really good meal kits where you just literally add a little bit of water to a frozen, um, like a cheese packet or something, sauce packet. And it's a, you, when you open it up, you can see that the vegetables are fresh frozen vegetables. Yep. Yep. Uh, frozen dinners and frozen meals are not the TV dinners of the past. It's definitely different now. Um, so, yeah, give them a chance. They taste pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's not the TV dinners of, of days gone by. <laughs> so, I think we're you, at our you know, hour. I do. We are. Hey, join us back here. Time goes by fast lately. Like, we start school on Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. It's been a quick summer. Yeah. So join us tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern for Georgette, the Juice Queen, and how to live your best life. And join us back here tomorrow or next week at noon Eastern time. One of those days, and we discuss the back of the labels and how to plan out meals and figure out how to actually understand and make sure you're getting enough food. Great, thank you. Have a good day. Have a good night. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Optimize My Life Radio.